our Lord is faithful. Amen? He is faithful, and he is worthy of our praise this morning. I pray that you would worship him wholeheartedly, for he is worthy. Let's pray together. Gracious Lord, we are delighted to be in your house this morning together. Lord, it is good for the people of God to come together in fellowship, to encourage one another, to build each other up, to share life together. Lord, there is so much that we can learn from one another, and there are so many ways in which we can encourage and uplift each other. I just pray, Lord, that this time together this morning will be a time of worship and wholehearted praise for you, God, are so worthy. You are so faithful. You are so good to your people. And Lord, we respond with adoration and love and praise and worship. God, as I contemplate the the message this week, I just praise you, Lord, for being available to us. You make yourself available to us, your people, and you meet us right where we are time and time again. Thank you, Lord, for being available that we can come to you day after day. Your mercies are new every morning, and we can meet you there to receive more of you each day. So, Lord, we open up our hearts to you this morning. We come to you broken, busy, distracted. Lord, I just pray that you would make yourself known to us in this place this morning. God, we love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Amen. (laughs) Please stand and sing with us this morning. I was buried beneath my shame. Who could carry that kind of weight?
thinking about that song, I called and you answered, or came to my rescue. I was thinking about that line, I called and you answered. And in my sermon today, I'm talking about us being available and how available we are. But I just don't want to rush past this morning that the Lord is available to us. And I just don't feel like it's appropriate for me to talk about how we ought to be available without first recognizing that we only model that after Jesus, who always made himself available. And I almost want to sing that song again, but I just want you to think this morning as we go into prayer, and I want you to just pause before we rush on to the next thing because that's the, the thing with organized worship sometimes is that we so often just get fixed on, on rushing from one thing to the next. And I don't want to do that this morning. I just want to pause. And I want you to know that Jesus is available for you right here, right now. And Jesus, you know, I think about the story with the bleeding woman, and I actually had a plan to talk about that in my sermon later, but I just want to do that now because Jesus was on his way to, to heal the son of an important person by the name of Jairus. And Jairus was an important person, and, and he was humble at the same time and came to Jesus and begged him to come and heal his daughter who was sick. And, and along the way, Jesus was on his way to Jairus' house, and, and he was approached by a bleeding woman who was so overcome by, by this, you know, the state that she was in that she didn't even want Jesus to stop. She just knew that if she would touch the hem of his, of his outer garment, that she would be healed. She was so desperate for healing, she knew that all she had to do was touch the hem, and she would be healed. And so she did. But I love how Jesus stops and notices her. He didn't just keep rushing past her knowing that she would be healed anyways, because she would. But he stopped and he noticed her. And this is a woman who, who scholars call one of the unnamed. She was an unnamed woman. She's not even named. And it's like Jesus pauses and recognizes that she's worthy to be noticed, and he makes himself available to her. So I just wonder if we could get someone to just come play something on the piano for just a moment. Could we do that? And I just don't want to rush past. I don't want to rush to the next important thing that we might be 
forgetting that maybe there's someone here who is as desperate as the bleeding woman and just needs Jesus to, to pause and to recognize. And I just want us to know that he will. He will. He's available. And so if that's you, I just pray that you would just pause and, and know that Jesus is available for you. And so as I invite everyone to bow and pray this morning, please know that Jesus will meet you where you are, but also know that these altars are open if you find yourself just in a desperate place to meet him and to touch the edge of his garment. Jesus says that we are important and that we matter to him and that he will never fail to meet us right where we are. And I just want you to know this morning that he will meet you where you are. What is it that you want him to know this morning? What is it that you are crying out for this morning? What's the burden on your heart that you need Jesus to stop and notice this morning? Would you bring that to him? I just want to make space for the person that needs to know that Jesus is available right here, right now. Jesus, we thank you that when we called out to you, you answered. Lord, I pray that for those who might be here and it's been a while since they've called out to you, I pray, Lord, that they would be confident and know that when they do, you will answer them. You will see them where they are, and you will meet them right there. It doesn't mean that you don't care for the next person. And it doesn't mean that you won't still show up in miraculous ways for the next person. But it means that right here in this moment, you will meet each one of us individually right where we are, giving us exactly what it is we need. So whatever it is that each person in this place needs this morning, we all need something. We're all carrying burdens. We are all overwhelmed 
We are all tired. We are all busy. We are all busy trying to keep on this, keep up with this facade of having it all together and being the good, holy Christian person that just has it all together all the time. That's exhausting. And so, Lord Jesus, I just pray that whatever it is that each person needs in this place, would you meet them? And would you give them an abundance of your love and your mercy and your grace and your healing? Jesus, we thank you for the ways in which you love us and show up for us. Thank you for seeing us when sometimes it feels like no one else does. You always do. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that sometimes it's just too much to, to ignore, that your presence is just too sweet and too good to pass by without noticing and recognizing and slowing down to say, what is it, Lord? What do I need in this moment? Because we all need something. So, Lord, I just thank you for your goodness, for your patience, for your love. I pray that each person in this place would know that they are profoundly seen and loved by Jesus Christ and that he is enough. You are enough for us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And everyone said together, Amen. Amen. Thank you, Kevin. Well, the only unfortunate thing is that at the end of one of those moments, you just are stuck with whatever state this is in right now. And I'm really sorry about that, but if you want to log offline this morning, for those of you that are online, I understand. <laughs> Go listen to the podcast later. You don't have to look at me. <laughs> Thanks, Larry. <laughs> All right. Well, this morning we are going to continue on in our series, uh, The Art of Neighboring. And last week we started this new uh, summer sermon series where we are just pausing to uh, notice the great command once again. Last week, we, we looked at the, the passage in Luke chapter 10 where Jesus is questioned and he's asked, what is the greatest command? And Jesus says, of course, his response is, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength, but also love your neighbor as yourself. 
These two go hand in hand. They are not mutually exclusive, and they are the most important thing. And, and last week, we, we emphasized that we know that Jesus was not just talking about our literal neighbors. We know that. He didn't just mean those in your neighborhood, those close in proximity. We know that our neighbor is anyone and everyone who has a need. We know this, right? We're all on the same page. We know this. However, we also recognize that we know there are certainly people in our neighborhoods. There are our literal neighbors who are overlooked and who possibly do need to be noticed and loved. And we might miss them because we're looking for the bleeding enemy that's laying on the side of the road, as we read in the parable, right? And so we know that there's nothing wrong with pausing and noticing our literal neighbors and, and trying to find intentional ways of connecting with them. And so that's what we're doing throughout this series. Um, and so this week and for the next few weeks, I just kind of want to address some of the reasons why we don't uh, connect with our neighbors and why we sometimes are hesitant to begin making steps to reaching out and connecting with our neighbors. And so one of those reasons, and this might be the number one reason for many, if not most, and that is a lack of time. The obstacle of time might keep us from reaching out and, and getting to know our neighbors and being more intentional and available to our neighbors. We're busy. We are busy people. We live busy lives, and as a society, in the, especially in the Western world, we value things like productivity, we value activity, we value results, we value money. That's not a surprise to you, right? We value money, and to get that money, you got to be productive, you got to be doing something, you got to be working hard, and that's all good, that's all great, but as a productive society... I wonder if sometimes we've taken that a little too far and to the point where we no longer have time, no idle time. It's almost, it seems like our society in a way teaches us without even saying it sometimes that it's unproductive to be idle. It's unproductive to have free time where you're not working or doing something productive and contributing to yourself or society, right? Think about all the time-saving devices we have. Think about how technology has provided us with so many time-saving devices. And if 20 or 30 or 40 years ago we looked ahead and saw all of these time-saving devices, we would think, what are we going to do with all that free time? That's going to be so great. We're going to have so much time. What are we going to do with all that time? And I don't know about you, but I don't have a problem finding things to do to fill up my free time. I'm using air quotes because I don't feel like I have a lot of free time. And it's probably my own fault. I don't have a problem finding something to do, whether it's productive and good and work, or whether it's completely useless, like, you know, you know what this is. If your finger starts to get sore, or like when this area starts to get sore, that's, that's a problem. That's a red flag. It's time to put it down when you start to get sore. If we're honest, though, and we step back and we really evaluate ourselves as a society over here in, in America, in the Western world, I wonder if we might, think about this, we might question the pace at which we live our lives. And we might consider that the pace at which we live our lives is possibly dangerous. 
and unhealthy. Would you agree? Would you agree that we live in a pace that if you're looking around, and even if you're someone who is, is kind of retired from the work world and you're not necessarily living that pace, could you rec- look around and recognize that the rest of the people around you might be living at an unhealthy pace and it might be dangerous? And the thing is, is we only continue to face this temptation to live at this unhealthy pace and live lives of imbalance. And so as we come to this passage this morning in Luke chapter 10, you're going to notice that this next passage that we're reading this week picks up directly after the passage we read last week. And if you wonder, is there a connection between the two, you're not alone, because scholars really do wonder about the placement of this passage coming directly after last week's with the story of the Good Samaritan. They wonder, is it, does Jesus go from, from a uh, kind of like a scenario, like imagine if, right, like a hypothetical scenario to an actual example? Maybe. And so as we read this morning, I would like to invite you, if you can, to stand in honor of the reading from Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened up her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. This is the word of the Lord this morning. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Is it just me, or do you think that a third Martha would have been especially appropriate because then we could really picture, Martha, Martha, Martha! (laughs) See, when we read this passage, there's a, again, I feel like I say this every week, and it's just obvious by now, so I just need to stop recognizing it. But we can go so many places with this passage, and, and this is one of my favorite passages for, for probably obvious reasons, but there are some good teachings that we learn in this passage. And at first glance, though, I just want us to recognize that many, uh, some, I don't know, some of us might actually pause and sympathize with Martha for a moment, and we might be like, wait a minute, what is happening here? Because If you notice, it appears that Martha is being reprimanded for serving Jesus. And and here's the thing. I read this passage, and I, I am a Martha type. I identify with Martha. And you could just ask my husband and my children how much of a Martha I am. Where when I'm preparing to host and I'm, I'm preparing to host church things, life group, and having people in our home. And so it's all for Jesus. It's all good. But I'm like scolding everyone and yelling at everyone, like, go pick this up. Go, Don't touch the pillow. Don't sit on the couch. Pretend like you don't live here for the next two hours so that the home can look perfect because we're going to talk about Jesus. And it needs to be perfect so we can do that properly. And all of my life group people would say, yeah, 
Don't do that. That's stupid. It doesn't last very long, does it? I know. But I am a Martha. I like to host. I like to be available to provide my home. It's not the fanciest, but I like it to look nice. And and I can get so fixated on these unimportant things, but they're for a good purpose. And so at first we might look at this and we might think, but wait a minute, Martha was not doing anything wrong. She was just wanting to provide a good hosting moment for Jesus. I mean, it was for Jesus. Of course, everything needed to be perfect, right? And so we might be somewhat surprised to see that Jesus is is correcting her in this moment. Not to mention, we're going to go there, not to mention that society would say, no, no, that's where she belongs, in the kitchen, right? Society would say, Martha belongs in the kitchen. And there might be some of you here today who still think she belongs in the kitchen. And hopefully at the end of the sermon, you will see that See differently, I guess. <laughs> Society would say, no, no, that's where she belongs. That's her place. That's where women ought to be. And so Martha is a product of what society expects of her. See, just like society expects us to be productive, just like society expects us to be active and be doing something that's enriching our lives, our family's lives, or, or the, the, the nation's lives, whatever. Whatever it's enriching, our society has expectations of us and will do whatever it takes to meet those large, grand expectations. And I think Mary was doing, or Martha, this is going to be a problem, Martha was doing the same thing. She was expected to be in the kitchen. That was the cultural norm, to be working in the house to make sure everything was perfect. And that's what she wanted to do. And she's frustrated in return with Mary because it's not really fair that her sister Mary gets to be in the, in the other room with Jesus, sitting at his feet, learning from him, listening to him. She's not doing what's expected of her. Have you ever realized that, that, that Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet and she's not where society expects her to be? She's going against what culture would say, this is what you ought to do. And so these are some things we might think about as we approach this passage. And so I want to ask us, what are we to do with Jesus' response to Martha? Because you notice, once again, Jesus flips things upside down, doesn't he? He does it once again. He takes something that we think and he flips it on its head and he corrects an error in thinking. And in his loving kindness, because don't get me wrong, I think Jesus, this is just me knowing my Jesus, I think Jesus loved and appreciated Martha's hospitality. Don't get me wrong. I think Jesus saw it and and appreciated it. I mean, she was doing it for Jesus, I'm sure. And I know Jesus appreciated that and loved it, but at the same time, he had to correct something that we don't want to miss. See, Martha was so fixated on on things being perfect and doing what was expected of her by society that she was worried about the wrong things. And she was distracted and she misses what she should be focusing instead in this moment. And that was Jesus and his presence and his teachings and his promptings and all he's calling his followers to. She's so fixated on the unimportant things in this moment, they're not important. What Jesus is teaching her and calling her to is what's more important in this moment. And because she's fixed 
on the wrong things, Jesus has to refocus her attention. Jesus was making space for Mary to defy what culture said of her and what society expected of her. Jesus praises Mary for sitting at his feet. And and I'm sure a lot of you know this, but just in case you don't know this, sitting at Jesus' feet was being welcomed to be held in the same regard as his disciples. His disciples sat at his feet. That was a place for men. Women were not traditionally, traditionally welcomed into that space. When you sat at the feet of a rabbi, you were most likely always a man. And so Jesus welcomes Mary to sit at his feet and to learn from him and to be taught by him. And he's not, he's not criticizing Mary for that. He's praising her for that. And he's inviting Martha to do the same thing. Martha, I know this is what society expects of you, but I'm asking you to lay that aside for what's most important in this moment. And that is me. He was not saying that a woman's role in the kitchen was not important or that a woman should no longer be in the kitchen. He wasn't coming to disrupt that, but he was saying it should not be the most important. See, what society expects of us should not come before the call to love God with all we are and to love our neighbor as ourself. And so one of the reasons we find ourselves looking for more time to do things like love our neighbor as ourself is because we're so busy doing what society looks at as important and highly regarded. But Jesus says, no, no, that's all fine and well. But when it's competing with what I've called you to, you lay it aside. You do what I've called you to do first. See, the role of of hosting and serving and working, what Martha was doing, that was not to be more important than assuming full responsibilities of discipleship. And and true discipleship, what we're called to, discipleship lives in this tension of, of sitting and listening and going and doing. We need both. Both are important. And Jesus was inviting Martha and Mary and the rest of the disciples to both. See, for the disciple, an attitude of learning and obedience takes first place above all else. And the preceding narrative of the Good Samaritan, this establishes the importance of the priorities in the Christian life, and we have got those so backwards. And so Jesus, he, he reminds Martha of what's important. And this isn't about a man versus a woman thing. That just happens to be the example that we see immediately following the story of the Good Samaritan. And possibly somebody who could be kept from doing what Jesus just said is the most important thing to do because they, whether it's a man or a woman, is so fixated on doing what society says I should be doing. Are you with me? Are we on the same page? All right. See, in order to take the great commandment seriously, we must create space in our lives to build relationships and to be available The question is how? How do we do that when it's so difficult? How do we do that when we find ourselves with a shortage of time? And so I want to offer you three quick things to think about or consider as you you consider how you might make more space in your life to build relationships with your neighbors. I want you to focus on one, which is keeping the main thing the main thing. 
It's very simple, but yet so easy to miss. I want to invite you to take time to reflect on what's most important. Or let me, let me back up. I want, to, I want to invite you to take time to reflect on what Jesus says is most important while pushing to the side what society says is most important. Because society will always tell you that being productive and working nonstop is what's most important. But Jesus says, no. Keep the main thing the main thing. Jesus clearly underlines the importance of loving God with all you are and loving others. And this is the main thing. This is the most important thing, so keep it first. Everything else revolves around that. You don't figure out how that fits into everything else. But instead, you schedule everything else around that. And, and I'm not necessarily saying quit your jobs. If God calls you to do that, then do that. But I'm not just telling you to go quit your job. But just make sure that it doesn't compete with the main thing. Make sure that there's still space and room for the main thing. And guess what? Spoiler alert, the main thing can happen at your jobs. Right? And this might literally look like you having to write it on your calendar. In its simplest form, maybe you just need to go to your calendar or pull up the calendar on your phone, and you might have to schedule in, make time for neighbors. I'm just saying it works. If you do that, if you have to schedule everything, then schedule time to be available for your neighbors. Schedule time to walk throughout your neighborhood. Schedule time to sit in the front yard to be available. Keep the main thing the main thing. The second thing that we need to think about or consider is to possibly eliminate time stealers. Eliminate the things that are not essential and not important. And this is going to be a lot easier said than done. But I am encouraging you and challenging you to say no to the things that get in the way of the top priorities, which is called to, God, to love God with all of ourselves and to love our neighbor if anything competes with that, and if it's not work or your family, you might consider getting rid of it. If we're really honest, we would say, we don't even have to, we'd just be a little bit honest. And we would say that watching TV, watching, watching whatever it is on TV, scrolling Facebook, these things are useless. We do them. We all do these things. They're not evil. They're not bad. I'm not telling you to get rid of your TV or to, you know, delete your Facebook. But these things are useless, and yet we spend so much time doing these things. These things shouldn't compete with what we've been called to do. And if we're called to take, or if we're going to take the great commandment seriously, then we're going to have to master the art of eliminating whatever competes with that if it's not important. And the third thing, and this is my favorite and I think the most important, learn to be interruptible. Learn to be interruptible. One of the things that gets on my nerves more than anything is when my children interrupt me. And I would say that if they were here. They're probably watching it right now, honestly. I love my children dearly, and I've tried to teach them techniques, and they do really well at this. I will say they do really well. We, we've taught techniques to, instead of interrupting me, just like place your hand on my shoulder and I'll acknowledge that it's there and then I'll get to you in just a moment because they know that I cannot stand to be interrupted, although I was convicted about that this week, I'll just tell you. But we don't like to be interrupted, right? But I'm actually going to challenge you, be interruptible. 
To be available, you might need to learn to be interruptible. Be willing to be interrupted or inconvenienced by someone. Develop a mindset that gladly welcomes others to possibly interrupt what you're doing. This will feel highly unnatural at first because our natural instinct is to fix our eyes on what I need to do and, and, and what's right in front of me and not allow a lot of room for something else to compete with that. But I want to challenge us to be interruptible because Jesus was very interruptible. As I said earlier, I won't go through all that again. But there were so many times where someone would interrupt Jesus on his way and the disciples would, would be like, shh, he's busy. He's got to go do something more important. You're distracting him. And Jesus would say, no, 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 they are welcome. The two blind men that yelled at Jesus, have mercy on us. The disciples rebuked them for that. And Jesus said, no, I'm going to make time for them. They can interrupt me. Children, little children would want to come and be with Jesus. And, and the disciples would rebuke the children and say, little children, Jesus has much more important things to do. And Jesus would say, no, no, I welcome them. Theirs is actually the kingdom of heaven. That's how highly important the children were to him and how welcome they were to interrupt him. And so that's where I felt a little bit convicted when my children interrupt me and I get frustrated. Okay, I see you, Lord. I see you. And then, of course, the woman, the bleeding woman, interrupted Jesus on his way, and we know he stops and he welcomes her. Jesus was always available, and to be available, he made himself interruptible. Have you ever noticed how Jesus got a lot accomplished? Jesus accomplished a lot. Would you agree? But do you also notice that Jesus was never in a rush? He was never in a hurry. He was never frenzied. He was never like, get out of my way. I have somewhere to be right now, and it's so important that I just I need to, to blaze through here, ignoring everyone, because I got important places to be and important people to, to see and to heal and to touch. Never. He got a lot done, but he always made space for the person who needed to interrupt him. See, if we create the right kind of margins, we can live with a level of peace that allows us to be interruptible and available like Jesus. Imagine how many people around you, just take a moment, think about your neighbors. I asked you in the newsletter this week to think about the invisible family that no one sees, that no one knows about in your neighborhood. Everyone wonders, but no one really knows what the story is. Think about invisible people in your life who just probably feel like there's no space or room for them, that they're just an inconvenience to everyone. Jesus would make space for them. Jesus would make himself available to them. And so as we prepare this morning to, to kind of close and, and notice a call to action, I want to ask you a question, and I want you to really contemplate. Do you at this moment live at a pace that allows you to be available to those around you? How available are you? Are you available to be used by Jesus for others whenever that might be? See, I'm afraid that by saying that we don't have enough time for our neighbors, 
or we don't have enough time to make space to get to know our neighbors and learn their names. I'm afraid that by saying that, what we're actually saying is that they're not as important as everything else we do. We might make the time to give them a flyer or a handout. We're happy to invite them to church. We'll do that any day of the week. Used to, it was we'd give them a track, you know. Yes, I know what tracks are. I'm not that young. We're happy to give them something that lets them know who we are and where you can find me. But it's not very often that we make space to get to know who they are, where they come from, and to make ourselves wholly and completely available to know them, to serve them, to meet whatever needs they might have. And that church is really what we're called to do. And I get it. Life is busy. Life is busy, and it's filled with things that are good and important, like work and family. That stuff is important, and I am not calling you to abandon those things. Both of these are important and essential, but nothing is more important than being available to hear from Jesus and to be used by Jesus. And Martha's hospitality that was and is essential, but not when it came, became more important than learning and hearing from Jesus. The goal for a follower of Christ is to see God, to love God, and serve God in all they do. And that will always mean being available to our neighbor, whoever that might be. How can we make ourselves available this week? I want to invite you to watch this video of, of how this, this video shows how one woman decided she would make herself available to her neighbors. I always thought I'd go far away on mission. I really did. I really thought my calling would be international, and I never, never in a million years thought that the Lord would ask me to walk outside of my door in the mission field where I live and get to know my neighbors. I'm Kristen Shell, and I live in Austin, Texas. I am a wife and a mother of four children. Any given day, I am in the kitchen or in the minivan. I am active in the kids' school. I'm a writer, and I volunteer at church. We've been in this neighborhood um, almost 10 years. I always knew we were supposed to love our neighbors because that's the great commandment. But how you live that out day to day is hard, um, especially when you don't know your neighbors, which is the situation I was in. I did not know my neighbors. Sure, I knew, you know, a handful of them. And so there was this huge question, what do you want me to do, Lord? Here I am, Lord, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to walk across the street and bang on doors? Do you want me to take cookies? What do you want me to do, Lord? God answers prayers in really winsome ways. I was hosting a party with a friend in our backyard and I didn't have any tables. And so I ordered a picnic table from Lowe's. And when it arrived two days later, I knew. I knew that for the purposes of the party, I was gonna have it in my backyard. But as soon as that party was over, I was moving that table in the front yard and it was gonna be a gathering place. And so I painted it turquoise, which is my favorite color. And I did, I put it outside underneath the tree in the front yard. 
it was awkward at first. I have this table, it's bright turquoise, it's sitting in the front yard, and now I'm like, well, now what do I do? So I took a whole bunch of stuff out with me. I took my phone and my journal and my computer, and I even um, I had some art stuff that I was working on because, you know, I needed to look like I was just doing something. By going out front, I was saying to God, here I am, Lord, your will be done. Go before, behind, and beside me into the neighborhood. And that very day, life changed. And I met a neighbor within three hours of putting a table out in my front yard. A lot has happened since putting the table out there. There are a handful of women who are now very close friends who I did not know. It has become kind of a gathering place. Hi, Bob. This is my daughter, Peggy. (laughs) (laughs) So one of the best things is just the sense of normal community, everyday life. The neighborhood kids come over. They'll do homework when the weather's pretty. We've had lemonade stands, hot cocoa stands. More intimately, um, it's a place where I can meet and have met neighbors um, who now pop by with coffee and just for 15 minutes, a a conversation over coffee that wouldn't have happened. The Lord has taught me and I am learning to be present. And that, it sounds like it should be a no-brainer, but listening is not um, a skill that came naturally at first to me, nor was being present. It's great to see you here. Loving my neighbors has taught me how to love God better. It's drawn me into deeper relationship with Him. You don't need permission or a program to go outside and be who Christ has called you to be. When we open up our front door, we take three steps right out our front yard, good things happen. Open up your door and let God do the rest. So I don't know what it looks like for you to make yourself available to your neighbors. And it might look like going and getting a table and putting it in your front yard and painting it your favorite color and just seeing what happens. For some of you, it might look different. But would you ask the Lord this morning to reveal to you today and over time what it looks like to make yourself available to those around you, I'm going to invite you to prayerfully consider that with us this morning. We are going to sing a new song this morning. Um, Instead of asking you all to stand, I'm just going to ask you to enter into a posture of worship that makes you feel most available uh, to God this morning. So if that's standing and singing with us, that's great. If it's sitting and quieting your heart, if it's coming up to the altar, whatever makes you most available to Jesus this morning, please enter into that right now. Narrow as the road may seem, I'll follow where your spirit leads. Broken as my life may be, I will give you every
place this morning that you would make yourself available, that you would set aside time to pray and ask God how he wants to use you and then be willing to do what it is he's called you to do. Amen. Pray with me this closing prayer. Lord Jesus, we've heard you call. We've heard you call us in numerous ways. Lord, your word is filled with commands to go with commands to love and to offer up our lives to those around us. So Lord, as we faithfully are willing to answer that call, we pray that you would go before us. Lord, we pray that you would open up doors in our neighborhoods, both metaphorically and literally. Lord, help people to be open to where you are already moving and you're already working. We know, God, that you went, went way ahead of us and, and we are often trailing behind, Lord, so we trust and we have faith this morning that you're already working in our neighborhoods in, in amazing ways and now you're just asking us to partner with you in those ways in which you are already working. So help us, Lord, to be available. Help us, Lord, to get off our couches and out of our houses and to be available to those around us. Give us eyes to see the invisible people. Help us, Lord, to see those that are hurting and broken and being willing to be available and to show up for them, not once, not twice, but as much as they need us, Lord. We know that you will sustain us, that you will give us what we need to do, what you've called us to do, and we thank you, God, for the ways in which you are faithful. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.